Hello and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian and I'm flying solo today without our trusty co-pilot Andrew. Hopefully I'll keep it flying level and out of the water. Today I interview Stephen Joseph of Joseph's Riverport Barbecue in Jefferson, Texas, up in northeast area of Texas. We'll discuss riverboats, ghosts, Bigfoot, and yeah, even barbecue as well. Thanks for listening and please subscribe to our podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they post up. We're here in uh, Jefferson, Texas at uh, Riverport Barbecue. Stephen Joseph, the proprietor. Um, one of the things about this town that, that's very interesting is that you get um, the kind of the feel of, of New Orleans style architecture. Um, there's some riverboat history here, uh, but you're not connected to the Mississippi River. So can you tell us a little bit about the riverboat history here? Sure. Um, Jefferson was... Um a booming river port, probably one of the, I think it was actually the uh, furthest uh, inland port at one time in the United States. Um, it was kind of the gateway to the southwest um, by way of Shreveport. Um, they had a log jam in the Red River, um, which caused the Red River to back up into Caddo Lake, consequently backing up into Big Cypress Bayou, which came out of its banks. Well, at that point, they figured out a way to navigate from Shreveport to Jefferson on a steamboat, and that opened up trade for the farmers here, um, the, the uh, cotton growers, the timber growers. Um, it opened up a place for them to bring their goods and to ship them to bigger markets, Shreveport, New Orleans, on, on down the line at the Mississippi River. So what happened was uh, they would bring their goods here, uh, warehouse them here in Jefferson, Steamboats would come from New Orleans by way of, uh, I think they took the Red River from, the, I think, around the Atchafalaya Basin where it, where it pours into the Mississippi River. They would kind of That's a several-day trip, I would it imagine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and through some pretty unhospitable territory in, in these days and especially in those days. So, uh, anyway, they would come up um, and uh, get to Shreveport, cross over a 12-mile bayou, which connects into, I believe, Cross Lake. Cross Lake uh, has another little bayou that um, connects to Caddo Lake, and then from Caddo Lake to Jefferson. Wow. And they would pick up the goods, uh, deliver goods here also. Um, so that's where we got some of the probably ideas and styles for the architecture from, from New Orleans. That's why it kind of looks like New Orleans has a little New Orleans feel. It's it got probably some of its architectural influence from, from New Orleans. and. Uh, so we would put raw goods and materials on the boat and uh, ship them back down the other way. And um, then it became kind of a little, I guess, a little gateway for people to travel back and forth from New Orleans. Uh, people just looking for a new start would get off. Some people uh, just looking to get away, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they would also come and hop off the boats here in Jefferson. And it was a pretty thriving little place. Probably at its height, probably had a... Population of around 10,000 people, wow. uh, which is about five times more than it is now. And um, a lot of warehouses, a lot of um, mercantile uh, businesses, uh, clothing stores, uh, saloons, um, just anything that would go along with kind of a Riverport town. We, we had it at one point. And it, it still has that, that feel to it, which is great. It's kind of like almost lost in time out here exactly um yeah. now they do um they do still do riverboat tours on Caddo lake itself yes Caddo lake and the and the actual bayou here they do a little bayou tour and and one on Caddo lake 
I have a fellow here, John Nance. He does a great job with it. The guys on Kettos, I think one or two of them have a paddle wheel boat that take you out on. You get you kind of an authentic feel of how it might have been in those Very days. Cool. And, and uh, they'll give you a lot of the history and background of uh, the travel routes and, and uh, some of the important places that were along the bank and, and uh, different things. Um, but they do a really good job of covering the ground uh, and the history of it. Interesting. I mean, when I when I came up, that was uh, the first time. That was one of the things I was looking for. Is I, I had this vision. I mean, your your Riverport barbecue. I had this vision of kind of like a um, uh, you know a boardwalk, and and the bayou is pretty small actually. So it, right. it, they they build these things very specific for for the path that they take. I would believe, right? Right. right. There were just probably very few boats that could navigate the water um, because it was pretty shallow. But fortunately, it was wide. And down here, just about two blocks down, is the turning basin, which was very wide and, and quite a bit deeper. So the boats could come along, and they could tie off there and then make a turn in that deeper water, in the wider water, and then make a turn back, make a U-turn back to Shreveport. There was probably just enough room I for was gonna say, steamboats to pass one another. Yeah, even there, because the, the bayou itself right. looks like that's one way. It, it's pretty you got to plan ahead. You do. Yeah. You, you probably high-five the people on the next <laughs> boat over. So. <laughs> now, there was, um, the other thing that I'd read, there was a, a riverboat um, accident on Cato Lake itself right. sometime back. Right, Mitty Stevens. Um, and um, it, unfortunately, it caught on fire, I think, some maybe a lantern, an oil lantern tipped over. It was loaded with cotton and unfortunately passengers as well. And uh, it just, you can imagine, it went up like a candle and just basically burned on the water and sank. And there was, a few people lost their lives. Not much of it, if any of it, was covered. Uh, but there, uh, there's a lot of history to that and I'm not the person to ask about it. But, <laughs> sure. But I do know a little bit about it, and uh, it was just a you know one of those things that would have made headlines these days all across the world, probably. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting story, um, and just just the whole concept of the the old riverboats plying down the the water. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, I've read about some some ghosts here in town. I mean, kind of you think about those lost souls as well. Right. Uh, very creepy. I've heard a lot of stories about Caddo mm-hmm. Lake too. Right. Um, there's some history here in town, supposedly, with the ghosts. Yeah? There are. Um, town, you know, like I just discussed, uh, it, it had everything that went along with uh, a riverboat town in those times. And a lot of gambling, a lot of prostitution, uh, alcohol, um, a lot of unsavory characters who were kind of trying to get away from from uh, the law or whatever was, was chasing after them. And um, they kind of congregated here. And... Um, there were a lot of gunfights, uh, people being stabbed, uh, you know, bodies turning up here and there, and, and um, I don't think some of those souls passed on. Some of the uh, hotels here, um, they have doors that will close by themselves. Uh, uh, you pass through the rooms, and you might be 75 degrees uh, in the hallway, and then all of a sudden hit a spot there, and, and uh, it may be 60 degrees, you know, just uh, kind of a presence there, and uh, lots of uh, un kind of undocumented noises, uh, bumps in the night, if you will. Um, and there's been people that have actually seen apparitions. Um, I haven't. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to have to ask. I, yeah. I, I yeah. haven't. I, I haven't. Uh, I did have an experience in the, the building uh, that was here before the fire, which we'll discuss in a little while. I did have an event here, but it was a friendly experience. I, I think that... Uh, it was probably a relative of mine trying to touch out and reach out to me. Um, 
but uh, it just kind of felt like a little pressure, uh, just like a little light nudge. Actually. Wow. So, and, uh, you know, turn around, nobody's there. Yeah. But it, I, I didn't get the sense of being creeped out. So, and my family's owned this building probably since 1950, 55, something like that. Um, so I, I didn't feel any nervousness or anything like that. But that's the only time I've ever... Had something like that. You've definitely heard the stories and oh, other yeah. people have yeah, talked about. Know, yeah, there's people. You know, there's a lot of former workers at the at the hotel, especially at the Celsius House, that have seen things there. Uh, just things that can't be explained. Uh, things kind of moving around. Wow. <laughs> it adds adds a lot to the to the ambiance of the town it for adds sure. To the character, yeah. Um, kind of along uh, unseen things, uh, up, coming up uh, later this year is a Bigfoot convention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that the first time they've done it here? Well, or they've is done that... it here several times. Uh, Craig Woolheater um, from uh, the Fort Worth area, he puts it on, and uh, he does a great job with it. Um, he has a lot of well-known researchers and, in that field that will come and, and uh, speak for a couple of days, and they'll go out. I think they actually have like a, a session where they go into the field and do a little research in this area. Um, the only thing I can recall uh, Bigfoot related in this area was, was a young man probably in the late 60s, early 70s that um, saw something kind of unexplained out around an area called Scotts Creek, mm-hmm. which at that time was heavily wooded, hardwood, and uh, creek bottom, and, and he saw something that frightened him and, and uh, never could explain it. And that was, I think, Marion County's only... only uh, Maybe encounter with Bigfoot, I believe that I know of. So a little, little. That, that surprises me that there is at least a little history of that. Any right. other um, <laughs> unexplained creatures or, or legends a lot of out alligators here? Alligators and snakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You know, uh, alligators are uh, their population is on the rise. Uh, of course, we've always had a snake issue. Um, I wouldn't say a problem in the town, but you get off onto the bayous and, and into the Caddo Lake itself, um, you're going to see the wildlife for sure. Yeah. No, very, very nice place. Um, very interesting. The other, the other thing that I noticed is that there is a uh, a railroad car right. here, and there's a little history around right. the gentleman that uh, that right. tried to get that out here, right? Right. Um, give you a little backstory on that. Um, the uh, Corps of Engineers, uh, who was recently formed right after, I guess I'm, I'm assuming this. I, I don't know if there's any uh, fact to it, but I think the Corps of Engineers kind of formed um, to help navigate the waterways or help make the waterways more navigatable. And uh, in Shreveport, um, Captain Shreve, who was over... Oh, there's a gentleman named Shreve. I did not know that. Captain Shreve, who was in charge of the Corps of Engineers in the Shreveport area, his duty was to unstop the Red River. So the log jam that was in the Red River that was backing up Cypress Bayou Consequently, giving Jefferson um, access to the larger waterways, his uh, his charge was to destroy the, the log jam and make the Red River more navigable. So he did that. Uh, got rid of the log jam. The water released from Cypress Bayou went down the river in its natural way, and uh, the bayou gradually shrank. And at that time, they were laying railroad tracks through here also. And Jay Gould, uh, who was a railroad mogul from up north, maybe New York or someplace, uh, his idea was to turn Jefferson into like a hub for repairs, maintenance, and even building steamboats. I mean, excuse me, steam engines, railroad engines. And uh, so anyway, 
that was his thoughts. He came to the town, offered a, offered his uh, deal to the uh, city officials. At that time, they thought the steamboat trade was never going to end. Never was going to end. So they turned him down. Said, well, we don't need it. we got the steamboats. It's, it's fine. You know, it's put us on the map. We're doing well with it. We, we don't see it stopping. Well, fate has it. He, uh, he said, well, grass will grow in the streets and bats will be in your belfry, belfries or whatever they are, you know. And uh, So anyway, uh, he decided to move his operation to Marshall. And uh, sure enough, um, Marshall has 25,000, 30,000 people now. We have maybe 2,000. Uh, their industry and, and town was built around the railroad business, and uh, we just kind of got passed along the wayside, and sure enough, there's grass growing in the street, <laughs> plenty of bats around. <laughs> Looks like he was right in his in his prophecy. So. Well, and, and obviously from you know the the I twenty, which probably built up from some of the railroad lines sure. and some of the other things around there as well, right? Exactly. Um, but it, it it it's what gives the town its charm. It's what gives this town its its feeling and ambiance when you come here, yeah. though. Some of the ladies that uh, started the garden club here in town, who who've been very instrumental in in researching a lot of the history of town and even uh, even. Uh, Restoring the old hotel and some of the other buildings here in town, they reached out to. Uh, I'm assuming maybe Mr. Gould's family or whoever owned the actual Gould rail car. It was his private rail car, and um, they bought it. And he brought it back to Jefferson because they thought it that's that's where it belonged after <laughs> he kind of cursed the town. So anyway, they installed it over across from the Excelsior Hotel and remodeled it. I know not remodeled it, but kind of refurbished it, and. Um, has a lot of history, a lot of neat things in it. Uh, it was probably state of the art for its time, and uh, really uh, worth going and walking through. And I think it's ladies. got multiple bedrooms. It I think does, I believe, yeah, 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 just in one rail car. It's, yeah. it's a lot of comfort for that time, you know, for that time of uh, history. And um, anyway, it's just kind of like a, a nice little side note for Jefferson to for people to go see. And, and it's one thing that I, I want to point out. I mean, there's there's a lot here. You know, don't just come up here and eat the barbecue. Right. Um, try to spend a whole day. And, and unfortunately, we stayed in Marshall, so um, <laughs> maybe maybe we should have stayed a little closer. Uh, but we stayed in Marshall. But I, I'd like to come back out here sometime and spend a whole a whole two days, you know, right. day and a half out here because there really is a lot to do and see. You can make an entire weekend out of it. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of antique shops, um, good restaurants besides barbecue. Um, we have uh, some fine dining places. Um, we also have some. Uh, a couple of bars where you can enjoy some live entertainment on the weekends. Um, there, there's an old general store, Jefferson General Store. It's very well known in, in Texas and in this region. Um, they have all the throwback candies and, and uh, toys and treats from your childhood or even before your childhood. It, it's, it's a must stop. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that come here to just eat barbecue and go to the general store, and, and I appreciate that. So. And, and that, that definitely brings us into the barbecue, you know, two-time Texas Monthly Top 50. Congratulations. Um, Well-earned. Uh, definitely the food here is great. Um, very surprising, of course, in this town. Um, Texas, what's nice is Texas does have a lot of small-town barbecue that, that is on the map and continues to be on the map. Um, let's talk a little bit about your barbecue history. So you're, you were born and raised here, correct, yeah, in town? That's right. That's right. And so how did you get the barbecue bug? Well, it... I got the job bug from my dad. <laughs> so I had just gotten out of college, and, and I think I may have been the first millennial. I just didn't, <laughs> didn't want to get off the couch, didn't want to do anything. And uh, 
So my dad, who's always had a very, very strong work ethic, he's, he's an older Lebanese man, and he was raised by Lebanese immigrants and in a very strict household um, to the point where there's no question about who wears the pants in the family. And um, so I'd gotten out of college, didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a major in history and political science. Uh, not that applies a lot. directly to barbecue, doesn't exactly, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a lot of jobs uh, in this area for that other than maybe just going to be a high school teacher or whatever. And uh, just kind of didn't want to do anything. Just it, it gotten to that point in my life, didn't just know what I wanted to do. And uh, I never will forget, he came home from work and walked in and I probably had been out till two or three o'clock that morning drinking beer or whatever and he walks in and, and he said hey I just found you a job I said oh really I didn't know I was looking for one <laughs> he said you weren't but I was so he said I've got you a job at the barbecue place downtown and the barbecue place had just recently moved next door to the general store and they had changed their name from Bodacious to Riverport Barbecue it was owned by a couple named Victor and Cindy Williams. Victor was a bricklayer by trade, and um, he worked out of the restaurant most of the day. And he was in and out, say, early in the morning and late in the afternoon. Cindy, his wife, ran the operation during the day. Well, they were a great couple. Uh, they had learned a lot from the Bodacious family tree. Um, so they had some procedures and processes that they were familiar with and when I went to work for them that's what I learned the first day I got there um, they had no wooden table they chunked a 50 pound bag of cabbage down on it and a cleaver and said okay we're making coleslaw today so that's how I started learning knife skills just making coleslaw and then I would work the register a little bit and then I eventually kind of went to the kitchen and started doing some things there uh, boiling potatoes, making potato salad, pinto beans. Um, and then they started kind of trusting me a little bit to run the block during off hours. And then one day, Cindy said, okay, it's your turn for lunch. And it was one of those days where it looks like everybody in the small town came to eat barbecue and the line went to the door and I'm, I'm busting out in a sweat and trying to get the food out. And it went pretty good. You know, it went okay. And... Um, Started picking up a little bit more speed and accuracy on the block, so they gave me a little more responsibility. And then they started kind of letting me put meat on in the evening time, and uh, then they let me season ribs, and so that kind of got me going. And I think at that at that point in the life, they kind of wanted to transition out of the restaurant business. And they came to me one day and they said, "You know, you've caught on pretty quick. Seem like you're a natural at this." would you be interested in doing this? Well, I said, yeah, I'd love it, you know, but what do you guys, you know, are you guys wanting to sell it or just let me run it or what? And they said, we just want out of it and we'd like for you to have it. We're going to give you first shot. So I said, okay. So I said, I, I knew I didn't have any money, so here I go back to Dad again, you know. Um, so I went to Dad and, and uh, we discussed it and we came up with a price with them and um, this was probably early January of 1993 and um, we closed on the, the building and I mean excuse me the business in uh, December of 1993 and we moved it to 201 Polk Street which was the old Joseph's department store so we came in kind of gutted the building set it up for just I'm talking about 
a barely functional restaurant. <laughs> uh, and uh, so there we were. So, um, December 3rd, 1993 was our first official day of business. And the, the pit was the, the Bewley pit the back then? The pit back then, yeah. yeah. And uh, that thing, I guess Victor and Cindy had probably bought it from uh, A.N. Bewley in about, had to be probably 89, 90, somewhere. It's three or four years old, and it's been seasoned in pretty good. And uh, so we rolled it over here on a, we actually put it on a chain and, and brought it over here with a tractor. And then we rolled it in here with uh, pipe and, and got it set into place and hooked up and it stayed in that one spot for, uh, let's see, almost 20 years, 19 years, 18 years actually. And um, and then, um, unfortunately, in 2012, we had a fire here, and uh, we lost the entire building pit. Um, we had one wall standing. Um, wow. We had to scrape the floor clean. I mean, it was just horrible mess. Bricks, uh, you know, just stacked on top of one another. Um, the electrical fire that caused it just um, it destroyed everything here wow. and, and uh, unfortunately so, so not a pit fire 20, 22, it, it was, 23 year old pit was yeah, still going it, good it was yeah. still going good you know it, unfortunately it was it was an electrical fire and um, so anyway uh, we started you know just first things first got the slab clean and then we kind of started taking a look at it and uh Eventually, we got a few plans together, and, and we rebuilt, and we reopened in uh, July of 2012. And so we've been here in the new building. I call it the new building for, for five years now. So. And, and you went back to Bewley for your pit? That's right? exactly right. Um, I got on the phone one afternoon with uh, Larry Lewis at A.N. Bewley and uh, told him I needed to order another one. And uh, he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. He said, call me. Go, go out to where you had the pit stored because we had – pulled it off site so it's take a tape measure go to where you have it stored get on the phone and let's talk about it out there so i got out there and uh, got a tape measure got out there got out of the truck called larry and um, anyway larry says okay here's what i need you to do and he started calling out places on the pit to measure so we i'd call out you know 13 and three quarters inches uh 36 and a one eighth or whatever and what he was doing he was figuring how to redesign that pit as closely to the old one as we had before. Wow. So he, he in his mind, and on his sheet of paper, was writing all this down. And the next thing I know, he, he calls me two or three days later. He said, I've, I've got the design for it, and it's going to be almost identical to what you had. And I said, great. You know, so back and forth, we went with pictures and emails and things like that, follow the progress. And then uh, he said, okay, we got you ready. And he said, we're going to bring it up. This was probably late April, early May 2012. And I didn't even have the back spot finished out yet where I actually put the pit. So we had to kind of hustle to get it finished up a little bit. And so he brings it down. Of course, we get the pipe out, and we load it up, roll it off, roll it off the pit. I mean, roll it off the trailer and into the pit room. So... Um, from that point on, it's been here, and, and uh, I started burning the fire in it that day, just to kind of wow. get it seasoned out. And uh, about three days later, we had a charity event here in town. Had the opportunity to cook about 400 pieces of chicken on it. That was the best thing that ever happened because it really the chicken fat seasoned really season. well, yeah. And so I got the fat from the chicken and a couple of towels and just kind of smeared it around all over on the racks, on the on the walls, doors, everything. And just kept cooking on it. Just kept, you know, put a little 
you know, pork loin on it or, you know, whatever, some sausage. Just kept running the fire in almost constantly for a month until we got ready to reopen. Excellent. Yeah. Now, now the Buley makes a lot of different styles, mm-hmm. even though a lot of people, when you look at the outside, a lot of times they look mm-hmm. the same. But mm-hmm. what I've noticed yeah. is there is some customization. Sure. Um, most of them have the mm-hmm. refractory line firebox. Mm-hmm. Um, is yours just a, a standard offset inside? It's not not anything different than it that? Has the, it has the refractory welded uh, firebox. Um, and then inside, it's standard. We have the uh, three doors, uh, nine racks. Um, one of the design features that he uh, installed on this pit that we didn't have in the old pit about um, 12 inches of the racks on my left side which would be the stack side was kind of notched out on each rack it was notched out to fit the stack in there so what Larry did is he moved just a little bit of space over to the left so he could install the stack so I'm not losing any rack space now so it probably increased my capacity by about nine briskets or maybe six or eight racks of ribs. That's a lot. You know, yeah, it's really a lot for here. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that, that was a big help. And we just went with standard flow. We didn't go with the reverse. Um, and it's very, very, um, very, very, it's, it's, the old one was temperamental. This one is <laughs> even tempered. So uh, I can always tell, you know, three or four logs we put on and, and we're good to go almost overnight. And that's you know this one does have the automatic damper. It's yes. one of the one of the features that's that's mm-hmm. very common. Not all of them do. There's a no. the, the guys out in Marbury mm-hmm. uh, Longview are doing with the old school right. Um, right. without that. Um, what is in your opinion? I mean, again, uh, you went back to Bewley, so you knew what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little bit of familiarity, but but there are the people that I've talked to are pretty rabid fans of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what is what is you think the reason why other than just familiarity? I think the consistency of, of, of the pits. I mean, they're really fine-tuned. Uh, there's probably 10 to 15 degrees difference from the top rack to the middle rack and then from the middle rack to the bottom rack. So there's not a lot of variance. So I can cook on all three levels of that pit and expect the same results uh, within 10 to 15 degrees. So that's, that's the one thing I really, really like about it. And... It's always, they've always had a good even airflow uh, where the heat and the smoke comes out. It kind of creates a little vortex, a little tornado effect, and it just travels really across the meat real well. And they do stack the, uh, the um, pipe, the exhaust pipe, at the very bottom, which I do like because that gives the smoke and the heat an opportunity to make its way all the way across the meat and then exit at the bottom and then go up. So. And that's that's um, if you if you ever look at one of these, you can see the the smokestack, like you said, goes all the way to the mm-hmm. bottom of the pit, yeah. inside the pit, and they they made the uh, adjustments um, to actually give you a little more room sure. because that does take some of that that space. That's really helped. Yeah. Um, um, going on to you know, it was only a year after that, not quite a year before you hit the top fifty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interviews that I had read, uh, you were. You improve your product by looking at photos. So kind of tell me about, you know, the hows and whys. I mean, you can look at a photo and you can get a good idea if it's good barbecue, but how does that translate into actually changing your product or changing your method? Well, I, I looked at a lot of uh, different reviews. I think Daniel Bond was um, he was doing his uh, full custom gospel barbecue website in those days, and he was traveling the state, different places. Um, and I think... Um, DFW Foodie, I believe. Uh, I can't remember the guy's last name, but Scott. Um, 
but I would look at his look at his blog uh, and man up Texas barbecue. The guys down in Austin, I would, Drew, I would, Drew, Drew Thornley, yeah. Uh, um, I would look at their stuff, and I would, and I couldn't wait to get here on <laughs> on Monday or Tuesday and and get on the computer and and see where those guys had been the weekend before. So I would start looking at different pictures and reading their reviews and and kind of what, um, kind of, just trying to figure out what other people were doing. I didn't have a real opportunity to travel. Still don't. You know, I'm still here most days. And um, so I would kind of try to see what other people in the state were doing. The big theme always came back to Central Texas style. You know, salt, black pepper, maybe a pinch of garlic and cayenne or whatever. But it seems like the highest rated places were in Central Texas, using the post oak. Some places used uh, indirect heat, some used direct heat. So I would always start by looking at those places first. Those were always the, the standard for me. And I would kind of try to look at the bark formation, uh, the color of the meat, um, kind of try to look at, it's kind of hard to tell if a piece of meat's dry or moist or whatever just by picture, but just kind of trying to figure out, is that fat rendered? Is it... Uh, hey, you can, in the pictures, it's a little wider right. and, and not as translucent if it's not rendered out. That's exactly so, yeah. right. So I would try to figure those things out. You know, what makes, what makes Louis Miller's brisket that great? What makes... Uh, Aaron Franklin's brisket that great you know why what what's different than mine and so I kind of started playing around with using more of a salt and pepper base rub uh, before I had some paprika and chili powder and stuff like that in there um, which is fine you know I mean that's great if you want to do that but um, I kind of started trying to emulate what Louie was doing what uh uh, the guys down in uh, Christ Market were doing uh, Smitty's Market, those places like that. So um, I tried to just kind of figure that out. And then it started kind of making a little switch on my wood. We had just been strictly hickory wood. Uh, really? That Interesting. Time. Yeah. yeah. And so I started kind of trying to play around with different different woods. Because uh, we have, one thing about being in East Texas is just about any kind of wood <laughs> that you can imagine is available here. So, you know, a little red oak here. Uh, white oak, uh, post oak, so I've kind of gotten to where now I've kind of refined it to, I like hickory, a little bit of hickory, but I really prefer post oak and pecan. That's my, those are my two favorites. So that's kind of what we look for here now. And um, so we just kind of started dabbling with that stuff and started getting some really good results out of it. And um, started kind of figuring out, buy a better piece of meat, buy a choice. You know, at that time, Crime was really unheard of in, in this area. Right, right. And, so, and even so. um, if you look at the interviews with, with Franklin, mm-hmm. they were using Choice, yeah. Upper Choice. Yeah. They weren't using Prime mm-hmm. back then either. No, and yeah. then, you know, from Choice, well, let's try this certified Angus brisket. And, you know, it all comes back for me to yield, which one of them is going to yield the best. And, and you do find the fattier cuts of meat, the CAB or the Prime, seem to yield a little bit better. So... We just try to try to you know just try to raise the bar a little bit as far as the quality of meat we use. Uh, we always have used a spare rib. Occasionally we'll run some St. Louis. I mean, excuse me, a baby back on special, but we've always used a spare rib. East Texas is kind of a spare rib. Now, do you sell rib tips? We don't. Okay, I know we that that I, is kind I, of an East Texas thing is, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point we did when I was actually trimming the full spares. Uh, now I buy a, a spare that's already trimmed, St. Louis style, so we don't have those leftovers anymore. 
But, uh, you know, started using those for always. Well, I will say we started way back when I was with the original Riverport using the spare rip. So we've always used the spare. Um, the big switch came with port back. Never saw that one coming. I mean, we. <laughs> you know, it, it, again, same thing, you know, it, it was very, very unheard of in Texas. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's become. I wouldn't say a staple. There's still some places that don't serve it, but right. it's, it's definitely on many, many menus now. Right, and uh, we had done a we had done a boneless pork loin for years, and people love it. People still ask for it, but the demand for pork butt just I mean, every weekend we'd have somebody coming through here. You don't serve full pork. You don't serve full pork. Okay, well, finally, I bought. A package of two from Walmart or someplace. I mean, it sold the first day we had it. I mean, we sold wow. every bit of it. Okay, well, let's try four of them next week. I mean, they wouldn't even make the day. I mean, people were buying them that quick. Now it's, you know, two or three cases a week, which is good for here. I mean, it's probably nothing compared to what some of the larger places do, but it's really taken off. Uh, but nothing's ever going to top brisket in East Texas. Uh, and then ribs are around a close second, but sure. the brisket's still the king around here. Excellent. Now, you um, kind of going over the menu a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's here, and it, it, it's also great and very unique, is the hot water cornbread. Sure. Is that, is, was that from um, the original location here? How did that come about? No, that's something we added later on. Um, that's just um, um, a lot of people around here just like a piece of cornbread with their dinner. You know, or with their I think lunch across the street they have they, cornbread they, they, sandwiches. They have yeah. cornbread sandwiches, actually. And it's just uh, uh, kind of an East Texas Southern thing. Um, and, um, it reminds me of a hush puppy it, more it, than anything. It basically yeah. is. It's it's actually made from just cornmeal and hot water, and it's it's things that you could put together when you didn't have milk and eggs at your sure. house. And so you make a paste out of it, almost like a play-doh consistency, and you patty it out and deep fry it, and it comes out into like a little hockey puck that's kind of soft in the middle. So. Um, no, they're very very tasty, and it works well with the barbecue. Sure, sure, it works very well. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about prime and, and yield. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to coming between the first, the first Texas Monthly list and mm-hmm. this one, you've switched over to prime. Right. Um, right. So why? Why? Um, well, I think the the biggest defining moment was I think it was maybe January, or February when Daniel came this year, and he made his visit. I guess to kind of finalize his list for the top fifty. Well, we had um, CAB in the house that day, and um, I cut a couple of slices of it for him, brought it out to him, and we sat down, and it was, I mean, it was perfectly rendered, tender, nice smoke ring, good bark. But within a couple of minutes of sitting there, you know, I'm looking at it right before my eyes. I'm sitting there talking to him, and it's starting to dry out, and I'm like, crap. I said, you know, this is probably going to, this is going to knock me out of it, because Everyone else's stuff is holding their moisture a lot better than what this is. So Daniel and I had a discussion about it that day, and, and unfortunately I didn't get to talk to him as long as I'd like to. But uh, we got really busy that day, and I had to get up. But I, I left. he left here, and I'm thinking the whole time, man, we're done. We're not going to make this top 50 because of that brisket looking like that. And, and like I said, I mean, I took it back, and I tried it, and I ate it, and it was fine. I mean, if you ate it right then. But if right. you left it sitting on that plate for any time, it was going to begin to dry out. So I knew right then and there we had to make a change uh, to keep up with, with the quality that other guys in the area were putting out. I mean, Jordan had been using Prime over at Bodacious Mobberly. I think at that point, Gabe over in Hallsville had uh, Bodacious and Hallsville. 
has started using Prime, and you really can tell a difference in, in the moisture content. I just say so. So what? Um, you know, it's a good point, right? Which is that switchover. It, it's not just about the lean, but it definitely helps the lean. But sure. it's it's just overall moisture overall across moisture. across the brisket. I'll give you an example. My brother who who lives in Longview, um, he drove over one day. His little daughter, who's three, wanted barbecue from from here, so he drove over from Longview and got uh, some brisket and other things and took back to his family. And uh, that's 45, 50-minute drive back to Longview. And he got home and he popped the box open, and um, he took a couple bites of the brisket, and he called his wife and said, you need to try this. And so she said, well, did it, where'd it come from? Did it come from Stevens? And he said, yeah. Went over and got it, you know, just a little while ago. And she said, it's still so moist. And um, he couldn't understand up until that point why I made that switch. He's like, well, why did you change anything? You know, it's always been good. And he said, I knew when I bit into it why you did it, you know, immediately. <laughs> he said, I, I knew. And it was still moist by the time he'd taken it 45 minutes away. So. Yeah, no, excellent. And and um, it definitely shows in the final product, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've had to raise prices recently. You were you're at, it's, it's still, it's sixteen fifty. Sixteen fifty. Sixteen fifty, which is some of the lowest on the list mm-hmm. as far as price. Um, you were at fourteen fifty, mm-hmm. which is pretty much insane. I'll be honest with you. Right. Um, but but it's you've got a you've got a local market here that's really, um, it's, I'm sure has struggled kind of along the yeah. change as well, yeah. right? I mean, uh, you know, most of the people here are, are involved in. Um, um, a lot of them, I wouldn't say most of them, a lot of them work in the oil and gas industry, which has been up and down recently. And, and then uh, a lot of them work in a uh, steel mill here that produces pipe for the oil and gas industry. So they've been laid off also. You know, so a lot of people here are check to check, you know, uh, week to week. And um, I try to, they're my neighbors. I mean, they've been my neighbors. I've, I've been, lived here 50 years, and uh, they've always been my neighbors. I know what they do for a living. You know, I know what they make. Uh, they know what I do, and, and, and they know I'm not trying to just reach in there and get the last penny they have. So um, I want to make sure that they can eat here, too, uh, along with the tourists. I want it affordable for my local customers first because without them, there, w- there would be no Riverport. I mean, that would that would have just been locked up a long time ago because they really kept me going through the lean times. And uh, I want to make sure they get a chance to eat here, too. I don't want to make it uh, unaffordable to them. And, and you've got some some affordable options. I mean, the tacos are, are two fifty a pop. Um, the swamp fries. So that was that um, was something that I had last time. Right. And it's it's a really good deal right now today. You've got the half order, which honestly is enough for two people. Sure. <laughs> but uh, swamp fries and a drink if you're really hungry for eight fifty. So you can get out of here for under ten bucks, oh, yeah. which is which is great for the locals too. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I think that's that's really just about it. Uh, the other thing is that the Texas Monthly Passport came mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a bump last time, obviously, when you're on the list. I mean, it, it's a huge, it's a huge um, volume changer. You get people out here that wouldn't normally come out to this right. part of the country right. for sure. Um, how has the, the passport helped, hurt, changed what what the volume is here? I think it's really um, a great idea. I made a comment on Twitter one day. I said, I think whoever came up with the idea needs a raise. I think uh, <laughs> that it's really brought a lot of interest uh, to people who probably normally wouldn't go out of the way to these places uh, to go collect those stickers. It's kind of like 
I guess like Pokemon was a year it's, ago or something. You know, this summer especially. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to yeah. teachers that are on, on summer yeah. break that are doing this. Um, a couple of people have already finished. Uh, yeah. Corey Taylor, I think, mm-hmm. finished this weekend. I think so, yeah. Um, you know, it, it is just amazing to see these. I've actually got my, – my sister went one direction. My nephew went another direction. And I went a third direction this weekend. It's you know, like, like you mentioned Corey. I mean, I never would have gotten the opportunity to meet Corey if it wasn't for that passport. And I have really enjoyed talking to Corey. Everyone has brought that passport in here that I've gotten a chance to talk to. I really enjoy connecting with those people. Um, that's one of the things that, unfortunately, I don't get to do a lot of because I'm, I spend a lot of my time busy, in the kitchen. Sure. But I really like talking to people and, and seeing how it's going. You know, are you having a good time doing it? Oh, man, it's great. You know, it gives us a chance to see the state and gives us an opportunity to eat good barbecue. And you get variety in there, but but you also get some – there's a certain commonality, obviously. You, you sure. don't it's, – you're not, it's not a crapshoot. You know, everybody is at least good enough to be on the list. Right. Um, definitely it's a lot of fun, but I, I would recommend – I mean, like you said, you talking to people and coming out here. Spend more time than just coming out, eating the barbecue and running. Right. Um, you know, it's, been, it's a good place to spend a night. You're not far from the casinos. Um, you know, so <laughs> that, that helps me out as well. It gives gives yeah. the wife another reason, although she loves the barbecue out here too. Well, thank you. Um, no, congratulations. Two-time top 50, well-earned, moving up to prime, changing your product consistently – bringing quality but then not just resting on your laurels which is great perfect well, perfect and, example and we appreciate what you guys do out there uh, with your reviews and 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 uh hitting those places that we can't go to and hopefully i'll get my passport and, and get out <laughs> on the road and i mean i really want to go try truth barbecue uh in brenham I, I haven't got a chance to meet uh leonard yet and and there's a couple other places i want to check off the list and and get a chance to go visit so hopefully after the fourth We'll get out there and do that. Excellent. Maybe we'll see you out there on the barbecue trail. It's Stephen Joseph at Joseph Riverport Barbecue, Jefferson, Texas. Make sure to come out, sit a spell, check out the whole town, not just the barbecue. Everything out here is a really great experience. Thank you again. Thank you.